pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. I don't know about you, Keith, but I always feel like a fish out of water everywhere I go. And maybe that's because so many TV shows use that plot device, that general setup. But maybe it's because it is so relatable. How do you feel about that being either a real life situation or just something you see so often on television? I I, mean, I think I'm a general fish out of water. Like just I do I go off the beaten path. I like, you know, I'm not on social media. I, I don't know. I feel like an old soul trapped in a millennial's body at times, but I'm still a millennial. Uh, I don't know. It, it's nice that this is a recurring theme throughout all of TV history. Right. It might be the most relatable human condition. I think they also call it imposter syndrome, right? Where you feel like you don't belong. Everybody has that. I, I think to some extent. Right. And there's different kinds of fish out of water. And and so last week when we talked about Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and today, as we're talking about uh, the nanny, it's it has to do with class. Right. Uh, a, a lower class person being in an upper class situation. And yeah, as we explore other types of fish out of water situations. Yeah, there's there's different kinds of ways to feel out of place, but I guess this is kind of the most obvious one. I, I guess you can go back to earlier decades too of television and see that in other kinds of shows, other sitcoms. Uh, it's I guess it's like the easiest contrast to make if you're a television writer is you know someone not knowing the proper etiquette in a high class situation, something like that. It can it might be an easy joke, but it is something that people recognize. You can get the. Uh the jargon wrong you can get like the just the traditions it's a very i'm not going to say it's easy or like it's just very it's the jokes are right there for the right for the picking yeah exactly and you, you could always have someone usually an old woman at one point going oh my <laughs> especially the, in something like this especially in the nanny in these these situations uh but yeah so today we're talking about the nanny continuing on our 90s sitcom exploration. And yeah, I made a connection with, between this episode and last week's when we talked about Fresh Prince and that both of these shows have uh, a witty butler who likes to make jabs at people. I'm a sucker for them. I'm a sucker it, for a sassy butler. Is that something they teach you in Butler school is how to be witty, how to you know make jabs or make passive aggressive comments? I hope they like I hope if I ever have enough money, I never thought I would want a butler, but between Fresh Prince and and the nanny, I'm like if I have butler money, I will say must be sassy. Must be sassy and also give you timely advice but in a very um What's the word? Just not in a very clever way, right? Give give yeah. you very clever advice at just the right time. Needs needs to know how to use metaphors and analogies. <laughs> they love you, but uh, they express it differently. Right. They're sort of like a guardian angel of sorts that also do your dishes. Uh, but yeah, we're talking about the nanny today, and uh, you know, this is a show that is very Nick at Night to me the first yeah. kind of show that comes to mind when you think of Nick at Night reruns I think that's how I uh, was exposed to that show I don't think I really watched too many episodes when I was young as many as say Seinfeld or Friends but I think it is something that has a, a loyal fan base and I think it's one of those shows the more you watch it the more it grows on you 100% uh, for me this just how I watched The Nanny was I was young because if I remember correctly, it would come on on like WB and syndication. And I remember I had to like I it was in the Wikipedia, but I wrote the, I wrote the date of when it went into syndication, 1998. So just around like WB, uh, like after school cartoons like Batman, Superman, and then they would go straight into The Nanny. And I'm not saying it was over my head, but it was a bunch of sounds and images just coming at me that I just, you know, 
funny things going on screen, jokes going way over my head. Oh, sure. Especially because it was a show that I think was targeted towards families, but definitely had its more adult humor, its more adult plot lines. That's CBS in general. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, they wanted to have something for everybody, but that includes jokes that a lot of kids are not going to understand. Uh, so that's par for the course. Uh, so this one, this the little history here on the Nanny Pilot, uh, this aired on November 3rd, 1993, to 15 million viewers, which is noticeably smaller than the other pilots we discussed so far that uh, were broadcast to roughly 20, 25 million viewers. Still a lot larger than anything you would see today on broadcast television, but for the time, uh, a noticeably smaller audience, uh, which I think makes sense. I think this is one of those shows that maybe had more of a, um, not the biggest following, but definitely a loyal following. Loyal and it grew. I think it like around like season three or four was like that was its peak. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it, it ran for six seasons. And so I think that's a solid run for a show like this. And so, yeah, that's a solid run. I would say that's like a successful run. Uh, so the idea of this show, it, this is very much a show that almost didn't happen. Maybe, uh, you know, it, 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 the odds of this happening because exactly, ba- yeah. <laughs> basically, uh, you know, in 1991, Fran Drescher had a chance meeting with the president of CBS at the time, Jeff Sagansky, on a flight to London. They just happened to be on the same flight, and they already knew each other because Fran Drescher had been on a short-lived TV show a couple years prior on CBS. And so she was able to convince the president of CBS to let her and her husband at the time, Peter Mark Jacobson, pitch a TV show. She didn't have an idea for a TV show. She just wanted the opportunity to pitch one. And I can imagine her... Yeah, you know, it's kind of like what we see in the episode, convincing Mr. Sheffield to be the nanny. I can imagine her wearing down this guy and charming him to the point where it's like, all right, all right, like we'll have a meeting, we'll set something up. Where can I get one of these chance? Like this is like a one in a million type creation. Like, and they yeah, they didn't have an idea. They're just like, I can I pitch a show? And they're like, he's yeah, fine. Right. I guess that's that's better. You'd rather have a meeting than no meeting. Yeah. And you, you get the idea later on, which they did get one. And so, uh, you know, uh, when she got to London, friend Drescher, she was spending time with a friend of hers and her friend's family. And so uh, she got the idea for this show initially. or She was inspired by some time she was spending with her English friend's daughter shopping in London. And you can see that sort of reflected in the show, at least in this first episode, and just the relationship she was forming with her friend's children. And she uh, she basically pitched this show as a spin on The Sound of Music, which you can actually really see when you watch the show. You can 100%. really pick up on that. I wrote, even, I wrote that several times through as I was taking notes. I'm like, this is very Sound of Music-ish, and lo and behold. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I think she even makes a reference at one point uh, to one of the songs from Sound of Music. And uh, so it's, you know, they're not hiding that. You can see that if you want. It's like a modern-day Sound of Music, which it's fine. You know, what's wrong with that? And uh, a lot of the family members of the Fran Fine character are based on Fran Drescher's real-life family, like her mother Sylvia and her grandma Yetta. Uh, you don't meet in this first episode, but I think you meet soon after. She pops up in, like, the second or third, uh, but she's, uh, like, a recurring character. And I just remember the family dynamics of this show, especially, like, watching that with my mom. Just It was just funny. Funny. Yeah, it, w- it was almost like that could have been its own sitcom, right? A like little bit, Fran- yeah. Just the fines, living in Flushing, Queens, and you know the the nagging mom, the forgetful grandmother, the and, dad that's not there, right? Like the off screen dad, yeah. And you know, maybe just a sitcom about Fran Fine's uh, dating life in in Flushing, Queens. That could have been the show itself, but you know, instead we have this more Manhattan setting. And uh, a little like fun fact too, uh, this is actually the first show I believe to use a not just like a normal audience where anyone can go see it and be uh, in the live audience adding to the laugh track. They actually used a pre-screened audience, like the casting department, cast people to be almost like professional laughers. And the laughter was added in in post-production just because Fran Drescher, uh, through you know her own personal experiences, was just not comfortable with just strange strangers coming in to watch the show. So this was kind of like a, an interesting innovation. I think a lot of 2000s sitcoms and onwards would go on to do is not the actual laugh track that's happening while they're taping, but a post-production laugh track that's added in. Canned laughter, as I think uh, it, it's called. But it's totally understandable in Fran Drescher's case. Uh, yeah. I, absolutely. 
And and you know what? Honestly, I didn't realize that that was not the laughter at the time. I feel like it sounds like very genuine laughter of the moment. It doesn't really sound pre-recorded. I think some other sitcoms, when it is a pre-recorded laugh track, you can tell, especially when you hear the same laughter over and over again, right? Or you hear laughter that things aren't even funny. Uh, in this case, I thought it was very seamless. You wouldn't have known yeah. the difference. And uh, did you know that Fran Drescher is the current SAG president right now? I had no idea. Like, I just, like, I think Fran Drescher has, like, that standard, I you know, reading about her. She has, like, two autobiographies. She survived cancer. She's yeah. like, her relationship with her ex-husband, who she then went to create another show with uh, a couple years ago. Uh, you know, she finds laughter in her trauma i would uh but it's but yeah she is now the current sag president i'm like you come a long way fran good for her honestly i find her to be a very endearing personality yes i i get a sense that who she is on the show is just very much her in fact when you read about the development of the show it is pretty much built around her identity her style of comedy and just her as a person and i think that totally works i know that people like to make fun of the friend dresser laugh and the nasal voice right it's very distinctive <laughs> honestly and maybe not everyone likes that but i i like it like i said i think it grows on you and at least it is something that uh, distinguishes the show i think it you know you remember the laugh but then as you watch the show, you're like, oh, yeah, Fran is actually like, yeah, she's a full character. She is a uh, Queens Jew, like from Flushing. Like she has – and also she, you know, the recurring gags, the wit. Like I don't know. Mm -hmm. She's a full-on character. If it was just a laughter, I feel like that would be lost in time. Yeah, I think that – well, as we get into uh, going through the, the storyline of this first episode, you can see too that – as funny as the show is, they really know how to deliver comedic timing. There is also some some heart to this to this first episode and to the show in general, which I think is what ultimately makes it work. And like I said, yeah, Fran Drescher, very endearing. But then the, the story itself, I think people were very loyal viewers because they really fell for the characters in the story. Yeah, and the will they, won't they, and the, the kids right. growing up. It's like, it's like standard – like I, I – we are like people who watched BoJack Horseman, and this is like one of those shows that you can pinpoint to. But there is, right. you ha I'm, I watch this non ironically, non, -cynic uh, non cynically, and yeah, no, there's a lot, there's a lot of joy in there. There's a lot of love. Like the cast actually, uh, during COVID, they just they reread the pilot. Mm -hmm. like oh, it's okay, on yeah. YouTube, it's on YouTube, and I think all of them are there. I uh, like some of them. You know, I, none of them became like really famous stars, but the youngest, Madeline Zima, 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 Zima. she, I see her every now and then in shows. And uh, I didn't know that uh, Maggie, this blew my mind. I had no idea that Maggie was the voice of Supergirl in the Justice League and Superman cartoons. Oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they really went on to be superstars, but like you said, you see these actors and things here and there, like, um, the actor who plays uh, Mr. Sheffield, uh, uh, Charles um, Shaughnessy. Oh, Shaughnessy. Yeah, Shaughnessy. I, he is in Mad Men. He's in the yeah. third season of Mad Men, right? Very memorable part in that show as well. Yeah. He'll never play golf again. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, uh, the line I remember most that he delivered in that show. Uh, but yeah, so a little history there on The Nanny. And I think that I agree. I watched it non-ironically too. It's a comforting show. And you're right. It is very full of joy. So with um, that being said, Keith, take us to the pilot. Flight 527, runway 8 kilo, you're cleared for takeoff. So here we are. We open up the show to a bridal shop and yeah, this is where Fran is is working, and we're getting uh, to know her as a salesperson in this store. And uh, you know, she's she works for her boyfriend Danny at the time, and she is teasing him about how he hasn't proposed, and uh, he appropriately follows that up by breaking up with her and firing her. <laughs> and uh, you know, we get a nice 
it's a quick scene. We get a nice little moment too when she uh, she's storming out. She says, "You can't fire me. I quit." And that's a cliche line, but then she undercuts that by coming back in and saying, "You know what? Actually, you did fire me, so I can collect unemployment." <laughs> that's a great line. That, no, that's, that, that that's a great line. Uh, it's self aware too, and I I yeah. bet you that Fran Drescher or someone who you know someone on the show has seen that line elsewhere and maybe had that thought like, "Wait a minute, you actually want to be fired? <laughs> it's better than quitting." Now, uh, uh, yeah. this is. I'm curious if you recognized him, but uh, you and I, you actually got me back into Survivor, and I actually continue watching with it, mm. and for all our Survivor fans out there, uh, the actor playing Danny is Survivor's own Jonathan Penner. Wait a minute. You're I, right. Oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. That totally is him. Like, uh, like two seasons. I'm, I'm. You're, you were, you were more of a Superman, a super fan who introduced me to it. But yeah, that's Jonathan Penner, and of course wow. he has the lines where it's just like, hey, you know, I want to see other people. Oh, I already started seeing other people, and I'm like, hmm, this guy look like who is this guy? And of course, like you know, he has his own Wikipedia. Well, uh, he was a scumbag on the show, and then he turned <laughs> out to be a scumbag on Survivor. So go yeah. figure. Yeah. But I, I, that's to me like that's a little just survive. If I could add a sound effect, I don't think I will, but just a like survivor fun fact. Wow, that's a really good catch. And now that you mention it, I totally see it. Uh, so he that's has a, a lot more hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, you have lost a lot of hair. Uh, so absolutely. And you kind of get in this scene too. The uh, the customers at the store really like Fran, and they they give uh, they give Danny kind of a dirty look for. Her How best friend's friend in the dirty. scene, right, Val? Like, I think she's in the later scene when they oh, return okay. to the bridal shop. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. So after this scene, we cut to the opening. And, you know, similar to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, we're kind of getting uh, this this setup that is already explained in the intro. But in the pilot, we're still going to see it play out. Right? Oh, it's I love this song. Oh yeah, it's it's uh you know it's a very recognizable intro. It's got this really jazzy theme song, and it has a very um, you know stylized animated style to it. Yeah, they actually uh, recorded a different. They actually had a different one. Uh, it was called like I forget the woman who sings it, but it it was called "If They Could See Me Now," and it had Fran Drescher at a makeup. Uh, counter and she's putting makeup in the audience, and the actors' names appear. And it's on YouTube, but it looks like one of those like AI made it. It just so it mm. looks like it ran through a VCR, and they must have only aired it on the official pilot. Right. And they said this like on CBS because every I, I'm sure on the DVDs and on how we watched it, I watched it on HBO Max or Max, Same. and uh, they replaced it with the tune that we all know and love. Yeah, that's interesting because obviously this is the one that they would play in syndication if that yeah, yeah in, that, in that instance. And it's actually uh, another fun fact about this intro. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell, who had a talk show at the time, or at least soon after, actually had the same production company make her intro after seeing this one. She wants something in the same vein. This uh, theme song made me ask myself, has a bar ever done a – opening show theme song karaoke night because people would sing this i would sing this well i would sing a different one but i would like i would love it if someone sang oh that's now that's an interesting thought which opening theme songs in any tv show would be on a karaoke night like of the shows we mentioned of course friends would be up there i'm allowing i'm allowing like like that band song to in in there uh that's a big one i think uh gilmore girls is a theme song that especially the fans myself included have memorized and would definitely sing the house down on i think a lot of people uh for older listeners uh perfect strangers uh full house cheers uh, cheers oh god i think like (laughs) if any bar is listening i think one night just to test run it like uh like just uh sopranos (laughs) <laughs> you know, I think you would maybe want to limit it to one particular genre, right? Because I don't know if the people who have the Nanny theme song memorized really overlap with the people who have the Sopranos theme song memorized. It can bring uh, but people together. It can yeah, bring people together. For sure, for sure. But, but yeah, it's a great have... song. Great song. Great, very uh, iconic introduction to the show. And here we go. Like I said, uh, 
we're going to see this play out even more, right? We get this theme song that basically explains the pilot, but we're still going to have it acted out. And now we get to scene two here, which is at the Sheffield house. And, you know, uh, Fran arrives selling makeup and yeah, she's not too keen on having to do this, this new gig, right? She has a line like, Oh, what a loser. <laughs> not, not thrilled about what she has to do now, but, uh, you know, Nigel and answers the door. Here's her introduction to Nigel, the Butler. And it's one of those things where, you know, classic TV misunderstanding. Oh, we've been expecting you. You're, you must be here about the nanny position, right? And Brand, of course, plays along. Like, oh, yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, she comes in and she um, is now going to you know, switch gears and try to apply for this nanny position and come up with a quick resume, which she writes in makeup. Interesting strategy. Niles, by the way. I'm going to. Oh, sorry. Niles. Yeah. Yeah. I had that wrong in my notes. Um yeah. I don't know why. I guess he looks like a Nigel to me. <laughs> Nigel, yeah. No, I was just like, did I get it wrong? Or, You're right. Yeah. No, yeah. It is. It is Niles. My bad. Yeah. Um, and then meanwhile, we see uh, Mr. Sheffield and Cece. We get the introduction to those two characters. Miss Babcock. So, yes, Cece Babcock, as she is known. Um, and you know they're working on casting a play, and they're also being a little flirty, which is interesting, right? I think this is like a recurring theme for at least the for the first few seasons of the show, there is like a romantic rivalry going on between CC and Fran trying to win over Mr. Sheffield. Of course, we know who wins that battle. Yeah. But... And uh, yeah, CC has that like step evil stepmother ish energy. Oh, absolutely. You know, and there's definitely a contrast to how they present these two characters, right? Fran dresses very colorfully. She has very big hair, right? She's definitely a, a more approachable looking person. Whereas, uh, Cece Babcock is more severe looking. She wears tighter, darker suits. You know, she just has a more standoffish way about her. So definitely a, a good comic foil there for Fran. And like I said, you get a little bit of a love triangle, which, you know, who doesn't love a love triangle on TV? Um, so then we, um, yeah, we also get introduced here to the Sheffield children, right? Brighton makes a very memorable entrance pretending to be stabbed. So we he's like a Bart Simpson type, apparently. I bet he is inspired by Bart Simpson because, yeah, this came out in 1993. Right. Like, like he is the classic middle child, as Gracie would say, like middle child syndrome. But, yeah, right. he is uh, like – he is like a what, like thirteen, twelve, like he is like just in that yeah. phase of troublemaker. Yeah, exactly. He's like a preteen kid, like you said, looking for attention, and probably the the kid who most likely drives away the other nannies. I'm happy uh, he's not Carlton. I'm like, you know, I, you mm. want you want diversity in character arcs or archetypes, and I'm just happy he's not like a excuse me, ma'am, like hello. Oh, like, I get super posh, posh, yeah, you know, exactly, preppy kind of guy, right? Yeah. He's not he's not stuck up. I mean, he does. Uh, immediately disapprove of Fran, but probably just out of principle, he disapproves of every, yeah, every he, nanny that comes in the rid, door. He did a suicide thing to get rid of the last nanny. Like he'll, he'll right. go there. Exactly. He'll definitely uh, drive these nannies up the wall. Uh, but then you also had the other Sheffield children enter the house. You have shy Maggie, the oldest child who's 14. And then you get Gracie, the youngest child uh, who I, I looked it up. She's eight years old. The actress. I don't know how old the character is supposed wise to be. Wise beyond. Well, I'm not going to. It's like maybe not wise beyond her years, but just like very deep into her therapy. <laughs> well, I, I, I wrote she's eccentric. Um, OK, that's a good. <laughs> you know, a little out there, maybe. Right. She's like the, the weird kid, you could say. Yeah. Uh, but like, like very said, into like, you know, oh, you know, my how we're introduced like oh my uh my therapist and i did some regret uh regression therapy back to my childhood like she's filled with lines at least in the first couple episodes just filled with those kind of lines right not easy for uh, an actress her age to deliver those no. kind of lines but i think she does a good job because she kind of delivers this with a sort of deranged smile <laughs> a little bit works. yeah yeah right it's like okay like if it wasn't for uh you know fran F dresher fran uh the character friend fine stepping in here gracie might have grown up to be i don't know a serial killer or yeah, something sociopath, yeah <laughs> right uh so definitely she uh swoops in there and sets this kid on the right track and that's what we see right that's like the the crux of the show she is basically um just like in the sound of music she's basically exactly what this family needs. these kids need a mom basically yeah. right right exactly well you know they need um 
someone who understands him a little bit more, right? Like obviously Mr. Yeah. Sheffield is a very busy guy and doesn't fully understand his kids. And also, you know, he is going through his own things as we learn, like his, he's still um, grieving over his wife. And because of that, he's, you know, maybe not willing to admit that his children are growing up. That's like another big part of this pilot. So, you know, I mean, that all makes sense. And that there's, there's heart in a lot of that. So I think that's what works. Although, and, and I know, uh, it, it works for the show and it I'm sure other shows have done something like this but wouldn't someone be offended by like New York's hottest widowers oh right yeah she has that line right like I, I, I yeah, that's right like oh yeah, I know who you are uh, and she she plays it off as the joke and I guess Mr. Sheffield is kind of just taking everything she's saying with a grain of salt right uh, but yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm sure there. I'm sure some uh, in today's day and age, like I'm sure like BuzzFeed or someone would do something like that, or like. Mm-hmm. But it's I don't know. Just like the 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 concept of like what an article. Hot, what, yeah, exactly. How how many how many you know eligible widowers, hot widowers, are there in New York City of high society? Right? Is this just the thing? <laughs> exactly. This isn't me nitpicking. This is just me being curious <laughs> is this a monthly list is this yeah. a yearly list uh, I, I, I like yeah. imagine being tasked with writing that article yeah but uh they kind of in this scene alone you get everything mm-hmm. and you you get the you get the, some quips from niles as well right like he, yeah this ought to be good right he's he uh he likes to sort of turn away from a situation and make a comment to himself right that's a recurring thing for this character yeah, and and it, it, you meet all you get all the characters you you know who they are and what they're about mm-hmm. and you go from and Fran gets hired like it and I'm not criticizing it I think that's just a very it worked it flowed very well right exactly especially because she almost doesn't get hired right and, and when uh, yeah. the phone rings and uh, Mr. Sheffield basically says goodbye right very dismissively. Uh, but then right before she's out the door, he you know, calls her back and, and out of necessity hires her out of, uh, you know, on a trial basis. Right. That's the most important thing. So that's basically uh, the end of that scene before the act break. And I think that works. Right. Because it is sort of uh, a, a crazy situation. Right. A woman with absolutely no experience, at least professionally, looking after your kids is going to be hired by this millionaire to look after his kids just because she happened to be there at the right place at the right time. And so I think in order for that to, to sell, right. I mean, obviously we're going to buy it either way. It's the show, right? It's yeah. The premise. But, <laughs> she gets, uh, no, go away. <laughs> the end of show. Uh, but I think that to, to help sell that idea, to pitch that a little better to an audience, you need to make it seem like it almost doesn't happen a couple times, right? Yeah. It needs to get off to a rocky start. And so that's what they do. And so you buy it. Well, I would say like any – the one thing – like, you know, at least the one thing that I think that clicks with uh, Mr. Sheffield is like, oh, it's someone that can handle Brighton. Like because she, right. she's not impressed. She's not scared by him. She's uh, not phased by his fake stabbing, right? Yeah. That's a big thing. She kind of just – she doesn't even acknowledge it, right? She just kind of steps over him, which is a funny moment. But yeah, no, uh, I'm just kind of amazed at how like this – five seven minute scene just kind of like everything you need to know about the show or at least like what this show's about is there yeah exactly you already know where they're gonna go with these characters and uh you know that that's that's totally fine but you you buy it right and they they establish things very seamlessly i would say uh so you get an act break and now uh you know scene three opens up and it's uh breakfast at the sheffields and fran comes in wearing uh, a robe and mr sheffield's slippers and you know basically we get the beginning of this fish out of water concept or a continuation right i think you get a little bit of that in the previous scene but here you really see she's breaking customs by not dressing up for breakfast eating with the family right the previous nanny ate in the kitchen and yeah that's not going to happen with fran she's very personable she's going to be a part of this family she's Um, shaking things up yeah exactly right that's that's what this family needs they need someone in to uh to change things for them for the better and uh yeah then we get the plot of this particular episode uh basically being established where there's going to be a fundraising event at the house later and mr sheffield wants the kids out of the house because he doesn't trust them to not screw things up for him and obviously the kids are 
bit down in the dumps about that. But after Mr. Sheffield leaves, Fran assures them, like, don't worry, we'll be going to this party, but first we got to get you guys ready. And, I wonder uh, how many fish out of water shows that we'll encounter uh, during this podcast where it's like, okay, we meet the character. What's the next, what's the episode about? Party. Party, right. fundraiser. Let's, right, you're how right. do they interact with other people? Fresh Prince, you're right. Last week we talked about Fresh Prince and same thing. There was yeah. a party and Will Smith is flagrantly breaking all the customs and you know, the way he dresses, the way he's acting, he's embarrassing the the head of the house. And we're going to get a similar thing here to a degree. But yeah, with Fran, I think she is breaking the rules in a way that is benign, right? Like where she knows she knows what's better in a way, not arrogantly, but she does everything out of good intentions. I think in the in the Fresh Prince pilot, Will is doing things a little more rebelliously and you know, almost out of stubbornness, right? He's not going to change who he is just because of this new setting. Fran also is not going to change who she is, but at the same time, I think she's doing things um, out of uh, you know wanting to genuinely do good, you know, right away, which makes sense, right? Because in, in the you know, Will Smith in the in the last show, he's a teenager, so there's a little more rebellion in that element of it. Here, she's someone coming with a little more outside wisdom. Do you have any experience with children? Are you kidding? I practically raised my sister's two kids when she was suing her chiropodist. There has to be another agency. Oh, please. I come from Flushing. There is nothing these kids can throw at me that I haven't seen before. Except maybe their trust funds. <laughs> All right, you're hired, but on a trial basis. Oh! Thank you, Mr. Sheffield. Thank you so much. You won't regret it. Somehow, I'm rather sure I will. Uh, so that, now we move back to the bridal shop for the next scene. And here we meet Fran's friend, Val, who is a, a, a bit of a ditz, right? Something about this character is, uh, one, I think she's used as a bit of an exposition tool. Uh, you know, someone for Fran to explain things to for also the audience's benefit. But also, you know, a big running gag with Val is how she's so aloof, right? Like a lot of times she'll talk about things uh, not realizing that she's the butt of the joke or she's misinterpreting the situation, right? Like that's the big thing with this with this character. And uh, that's, you know, it's it is it's done in like a funny way, in a clever way. But that's basically her her shtick. Yeah, I think Val uh I can't say so much about the first season, but I know Val, like the grandmother and her mom, just kind of become recurring characters. And I think towards the end, Val and her mom become main cast characters. That's right. I think they also introduce Val's mother as well because Fat Fran and Val in the show are childhood friends. Yes. And I like I, I was watching some of the later episodes, just jumping around after watching this first pilot, and there's like a joke in one of the later episodes where um, – you know, like they, there's a, a thing where Val is re- remembering like, oh, like how you basically stole my boyfriend, but I don't, I'm not realizing that you stole my boyfriend, right? Like oh, Frank really? kind <laughs> of has a history of maybe taking advantage of Val's friendship a little bit. Um, so there, there's a little bit of that. But obviously, like she doesn't she's never really it never really clicks with her. Right. And see... Fran will Fran will play it off like, uh, I don't really remember any of that. I did see a clip of uh both Val and uh, Fran at their high school reunion. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, this is also just a fun fact about Fran Drescher. She went to high school with Ray Romano. Yes, so I remember that cameo. CBS, yeah, I didn't, I, this shocked me watching a YouTube clip. Uh, I just think, okay, they're both on CBS and Ray Barone is there. Right. He's so like, oh, I'm just happy to be, I'm just A little bit of a crossover, right? Oh, yeah. Right, because this show runs until 1999. Everybody Loves Raymond premieres 1996. So, of course, you have a few years there for a little bit of a crossover event, oh, even yeah. if it's a brief one, right? I think in that scene as well, they, they can't help but say the, the name of Ray's show, right? Because Fran says, like, well, I remember that everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> the, sh- the nanny kind of just leans into that kind of yes. humor. They double down on that like basically weak to the camera yes. uh, sort of thing, right? Like they they make the joke, but they overly make the joke, but in a way that is campy, I would say. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. 
Um, but then, yeah, then in this scene, you see Fran really working on the kids and forming her relationship with each of them, right? So she's encouraging Brighton to be nice to Maggie, for Maggie to come out of her shell. And you can see also that uh, Gracie is having some fun just in this new environment and, you know, kind of twirling around like a crazy person with the wedding veil. But still, you know, it's it's a nice moment where you, you can now see the basically everything falling into place with how the dynamic will be for the rest of the show. Question. Uh, when you w- were watching later episodes, uh, were the kids – did their uh... – I don't want to say personalities, but they're like their humor or character character change as they got older. Um, as far as I can tell, no. I think number one, their roles become a bit more diminished. Oh, okay. Uh, but two, I believe that Maggie gets a little more rebellious, especially as she starts to date more, wants to go out more. Doesn't she and get I- married? Yeah, there's a, a oh, whole thing it. where she elopes, and uh, that's it. I remember. Th- I remember that she elopes based on advice from Fran that she misinterprets, and of course, you know, Mister Sheffield gets really mad at Fran yet again about that. Uh, and that is also a recurring thing, right? Like Fran will give vague advice, or she'll she'll give advice to the kids for one purpose, but the kids will kind of misinterpret and run in the wrong direction with it. Uh, but Sure enough, by the end of each episode, things are steered right back on track. Good times had by all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so now we get to the uh, the fundraiser event, basically like the the meat of the episode here. And uh, I, I get a kick out of this moment where uh, Mr. Sheffield refers to Cece as handsome, <laughs> which she enjoys that compliment, but I don't think any woman wants to be called handsome. Uh, but uh, then you have... Uh, Fran entering and she's in this really, uh, you know, showgirl type dress, right? Yeah. You got a woo from the audience. She's definitely, um, kind of catch a lot of attention with this. Uh, What she, she said it's from her cousin who was miss long Island in 1989. She looked beautiful. (laughs) Like she looked great. It it does go back to your point about the love triangle. Like, Oh, Mm -hmm. Fran looks drop dead gorgeous. And, uh, the actress that plays CC is beautiful too, but yeah, she's wearing like, the shoulder pad suit. Yes. She looks hand and you will always be a great business associate. CC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it is a little ambiguous what exactly the relationship between Mr. Sheffield and CC is going into the show, because at one point earlier in the episode, during the breakfast scene, the kids refer to CC as his lady friend. So yeah, was there ever a fling was there anything ever romantic actually done or was it all just flirting and Cece not quite being able to make the move she'd wanted to? Um, I'm not exactly sure. I, t- I interpreted it as like the kids are aware of Cece's intentions and they having just lost their mom, they are so, I got, I'm adding like a somber look to the nanny, but the kids are so detached from their dad that they're, so, like, yeah. they're just, so, they see what's going on. And I think she, Sheffield sees what's going on too, but they're like, we just lost our mom. Like that's his dad's lady friend. Who's always, they, they know what's going on. And yeah. It's almost as if they've accepted reluctantly that she is going to be making a move in on their dad. Yes. And they don't, right. It's exactly. uh, there's, right. There is a bit of a, of a somberness to that element of it, but you know, thankfully Nanny fine comes in to save the day. And you know, whereas CC definitely has intentional, uh, she, her intention is definitely noticeable where she she definitely is deliberate trying to get Mr. Sheffield's affections. Uh, I believe that things don't start that way immediately with, with Fran. I think she she is dedicated to the kids right away, and it's more of a natural romance that blooms between her and Mr. Sheffield. It's not forced the way Cece's trying to do it. No, I think it – I don't know. I, I, I'm, I've only watched a couple episodes of the first season, and yeah, there's no – like. There's chemistry there, but there's no like kiss. Damn it! There's it's just like right. oh, she just they're not there to... yet. Yeah, they're not there yet. Right, right. So you know, Fran enters in this dress, and then she uh, calls for the kids to come down. Of course, you know Maxwell, Mister Sheffield, is at not crazy about this idea. But as soon as he sees them dressed up and actually behaving themselves, he is cautiously optimistic. But then you have this <laughs> moment 
where Maggie is at the top of the stairs. And now she's really coming out of her shell. And I think this is really the moment you can even hear it in the audience, despite it being pre-recorded. Uh, you can kind of hear it's like a um, it's a big moment for the show where you can see, oh, well, like, look at what Fran has done for this kid. You know, now she's glowing and she has yeah. confidence and it's a real transformation. And that you can see is, um, I think, how the show is going to win over its audience. I forgot how much you looked like your mother. Like that, yes. that's, that's a sweet moment. That's a very sweet moment. I, I did have to laugh out loud when he patted Brighton down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he gives him a hug too. and then he, like, that's a very good joke. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Right. Um, yeah. He doesn't quite trust the kid to not have something up his sleeve. So that works. But yeah, no, and, use your kids. Like the kids bring in the money. Right. It works. He introduces the kids and, He's like, all right, that's enough. But as soon as the first guy has a check written out, like, wow, what a great family you have. Here's a check. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then Mr. Sheffield realizes that this is actually a great idea. Uh, so then it transitions to after the party. They make a couple of, uh, I believe, Ivana Trump references, right? Yes. She's supposedly at the party. You don't see her, of course. This is but- around the time where, like, a little bit after, you know, he went from Ivana Trump to Marla Maple, like we had mm. our generation and those uh, below us have to remind or have to be reminded that like before he was president, Donald Trump was a big New York celebrity and everything that followed. Like he, you know, right. he, he was the socialite. I, I think he cheated on her, but like, but oh, yeah, yeah, Obama, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you think I, I, oh, <laughs> allegedly no but yeah no, i think uh but yeah no ivana like oh uh, she, uh even fran makes a joke like oh you'll find somebody someday and yeah CC, yeah cc makes a joke like oh that her work same doctor like, yeah 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 right they make a couple of uh yeah references to her it's and very new it's, york it's of the time humor that's that's accessible to everybody Right, right. I'm sure that story was running in the tabloids at the time. Yeah, SNL was making fun of it. Phil Hartman, I know, was Donald Trump and during all that. And, you know, it was was just kind of like, even though it's like the upper epsilon of New York City, just uh, Trump and the Trumps were a caricature. Then, let's not even talk about now, but then. Yeah, going all the way back to this is, (laughs) this is sad enough, but this this pilot is going to be 30 years uh, 30 years old later this year and yeah even back then they were part of the celebrity culture right and uh like he helped kevin McAllister. this is around that oh my gosh time. don't remind <laughs> me yes absolutely you're right and of course this is that world right upper east side socialites yes. of course they're going to make a reference to that right that's that world and so that makes sense for them to make that reference um i'm curious if they want ivana to be in the pilot and they just couldn't get her. I don't know. I know. <laughs> just I, have her off screen. I don't I, like. I didn't really check the guest star list, but I know like Trump made a he. I I think Trump and Ivana or Marla was guest star on Fresh Prince. I remember that. Like, yes, I believe that's correct. And jumping to another era of television, I believe in Gossip Girl in an episode that would air like I don't know, fifteen, sixteen years after this pilot. Uh. Ivanka Trump and oh, okay. uh, uh, Jared um, Kushner, they make an appearance just in a quick episode, too. Because, again, it's uh, that Upper ma- East Side. That makes sense. I thought you were going to say Donald makes an appearance. In no, no, no. I know who the but... Gossip Girl is. I'm not going to tell you. Oh, it's... God. <laughs> yeah, right? Can you imagine? Uh, but just just to you know, bring it all back, that that has been a recurring element yeah. in some of these TV shows. If you're going to take place in the Upper East Side, that is just going to be an element that yes. you you might not be able to avoid. Well, do I count four zeros on this check? All right, I'll admit it. Having the children here this evening wasn't the complete disaster it might have been. Oh, Mr. Sheffield, you gush. All right, all right, it went splendidly. Here, let me put that, thank you, with the others. <sighs> Well, congratulations, Nanny Fine. It seems you pulled it off. Uh, What could possibly go wrong when you put a father together with his children? (laughs) I think I'm going to be ill. Uh, So then you get a uh, a little more dramatic, right? Because Mr. Sheffield goes to his office to put his check away or put one of the checks away. And he catches Maggie 
kissing, I guess, a cater worker or one of the guys working at the fundraiser. And uh, not just any cater, not just any cater, one played by a young uh, James Marsden. And I, I had I was not expecting that. That was quite a surprise. Well, you Especially just having, finished jury duty and then having you just I just that. finished it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my exactly. God. He's just getting started, basically, right? He's and just a kid. He's like he's our age, if not younger. Absolutely. So, of course, Mr. Sheffield doesn't like this. He throws the kid out, and Maggie's obviously very embarrassed. As you get this interesting scene here, where you know Fran's excited for Maggie, right? It's her first kiss. She wants to get the camera. Mr. Sheffield, meanwhile, is absolutely mortified and appalled, and there's this big argument here. Where Fran's trying to tell Mr. Sheffield, listen, she's growing up. You can't put her on a mantle. She's becoming a woman. And Mr. Sheffield's like, no, she's still a kid. She's still a child. And what do you think? Like 14, right? Like, I don't know if that if she's old enough to say she's a woman, but at the same time, she's not young enough to say she's a child, right? She's a young woman, you might be able to say. <laughs> that was the first draft of that Britney Spears song that you <laughs> <laughs> No, like not uh, not a girl, not yet a woman. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I'm not someone – I don't have a daughter. And if I – I bet that's just a very complicated thing to think of, you know, a girl that you're swinging on a swing set to now kissing James Marsden. right. And I, I think it all works because, right, as a as a now a single father uh, and a widower, of course he's going to be overprotective of his kids, and he's he's going to, you know, I don't say infantilize them, but you know he's he's not going to be willing to admit that they are maturing. And yeah. you know, four, fourteen is like I don't know an, a common age for, uh, you know, a a young woman or a young man to have their first kiss. So like that's not totally inappropriate. But it is. It makes sense for this character to react the way he is, and unfortunately, this does end with Mr. Sheffield firing Fran, and you get the recurring joke of her, you know, <laughs> quitting and then saying, "No, I want the unemployment." Even when she's more emotionally hurt by it, she's like, "No, I, you fired me, so I could collect unemployment." Yeah, yeah, right. This time she's a little more teary about it, but she still knows, <laughs> she still knows what she needs to do, and so then. Um, yeah, it's it's it gets a little dramatic, right? And that happens on the show from time to time, of course. Oh, you gotta have those moments, like, and it it gets dramatic enough for shows like this, like it, right? Like, nothing too serious, right? Maybe the show gets a little. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I have seen a special episode here and there, but right, I, exactly. I, nothing's coming to mind. But uh, yeah, now you move on to this scene of. Mr. Sheffield in his office by himself and Niles comes in and he does the thing we were alluding to before where he gives Mr. Sheffield some some advice, right? And uh, a light nosh, <laughs> which, you know, this is courtesy of uh, a friend giving giving Niles the idea for that. And I don't know, it looks, it's like a, it looks like a pastrami sandwich or something that he's eating. Um, and it looked delicious. <laughs> right, yeah. It looked like exactly what he I, needed. I want a light nosh. And of course, Niles is able to give Mr. Sheffield that aha moment, right? And you know, he wasn't talking about the sandwich. You know, they have to make that a little more clear. And I, I, you can tell too that Niles pretty much warms up to Fran right away. I think by by the fundraiser at the very latest, he actually is like very. I don't. Know, he, you, you can tell that he likes this person, and he's going to be friendly and be on her side. And I think that that is a really cool relationship to see as well. Well, they're both kind of uh, in the same position. Like they're not mm -hmm. like they're part of the family, but they're not part of the family. Exactly. I mean, you know, Niles probably has been around for many, many years with this family. And so, of course, he's going to be he's going to care about um, all the members there. And so he probably recognizes Fran as someone who is exactly what the family needs. I do so. have to give credit to the writers just like after i'm sure that there's little hints in just every episode but there are times where i do have to like look up what the reference is it kind of like mm. oh what uh you know when they were having breakfast brighton calls gracie sybil i didn't know what uh, that meant and yeah that, i wasn't was sure either famous psychological book at the time about a girl with uh multiple uh you know d uh, dissociative identities ah, I, like, okay. I wanted i wanted to look that up but uh, very you know, of the time yeah. niles makes a reference to the betty ford clinic 
Mm-hmm. Reagan and they're like, oh, he's like, I overreacted, didn't I? Like Reagan and Grenada. I had to look that right. up. Right, right, right. Yeah, they made they made that joke. I remember thinking like they made huh. Ted Kennedy references in like in the some of the following episodes. But I just I appreciate writing like that uh, from like you know it's Simpson esque to me. You know, like yeah, I think I audiences like, always like a timely reference. Joke, one for the kids and one for the adults. Right, and it's not like the show makes a ton of those. No. So it's it's still it doesn't date the show too badly. Right, there's just a few of those jokes where it's like, wait a minute, what are they referencing? Uh, but I, I, you know, in 1993, of course, you would totally understand what they were talking about. I feel like it, it, the fact that I look it up, I now gain like that little like, oh, maybe I, if it's ever on Jeopardy, I'll get, I'll get that answer type. Like I learned yeah. a new uh, Snapple fact. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Looking, watching these old shows definitely will come in handy for something like that. Um, and so now in the in the final scene here. It's Fran's parents' house in Flushing. And, you know, Fran's mom, Sylvia, we're introduced to her. She's trying to cheer up Fran with some food. And that's a big running thing with, with Sylvia is that she she definitely loves her food. She's always eating. She's always looking for food. She gets excited by food, right? Like, that's uh, basically her shtick. Uh, but then Mr. Sheffield arrives. Oh, we and... never meet the father until, like, I right. think until like the, it's always a running gag like Morty Morty's watching TV or Morty's outside. Yeah, in the and, other room. Yeah, but uh, I think they I, I did look this up. He if they ever like introduced him and it's later like in the last season played by uh, Rat Packer Steve Lawrence. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's a nice payoff that you finally get to see him at the yeah. end. Um, and we have Mr. Sheffield come in. And now he's the fish out of water, right? Nice little, uh, you know, the, the tables have turned here. And, right, like they have to yell out the window for people to get away from his limo. He's a little taken aback by the plastic on the couch, right? He, you can definitely tell you could, he's out of his element now. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe like a nice way of seeing things from a different perspective. Uh, but, you know, he basically apologizes to Fran and he's still wary. He's still cautious about having her come back, but he does ask her to come back. And, right, like at first, Fran wants a little bit bigger of an apology, but when he doesn't really want to give her one, he's like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> I'll come back. You know, and she'll, she'll take it. She doesn't want to push her luck, basically. I like how Fran knows how good she is. Like, you know, if I were to hire myself back, oh, I, I, I would never fire myself in the first place. But, yeah, right. it's all – like, let's – respect each other's differences and i think we can make this work right and you know kind of a weird moment that this pilot ends on where uh sylvia takes a picture of them and it's like that you know uh freeze frame as a photograph which i've never seen in any of the other episodes right right and also (laughs) like a lipstick kiss <laughs> that appears on the photo. I, I don't know, just something kind of silly, I guess. I like to think she... it's part of the running gag of just everyone taking pictures of their, like, oh, your first every kiss. moment. Yeah, every yeah. moment. Yeah. Hey, like, that's how it is now, right? People post everything on social media. Back then, they just maybe kept everything in a scrapbook. Uh, so that's that is a, a nice running gag. They do appreciate every good moment that that comes along. Uh, but yeah, there's no there's no tag, right? It just goes right into the end credits which is, you know, an image from the opening. So there you have it. That is the first episode of The Nanny. Are you asking me to come back? So it seems. So what you're really saying is you feel terrible about this whole damn thing. And if you could, you'd get down on your hands and knees and apologize. Miss Fine. Apology accepted. Mom, pack my things. He wants me back. Smile. So a little retrospective review here. Yeah, a lot of this show really revolves around the appeal of Fran Drescher, her style of humor, her voice, her persona, uh, her look, right? I think Fran Drescher, Fran Fine, a very distinct look about this character. She has a very, like, um, bold sense of style, both in terms of um, her hair, her makeup, but then also her her 
her clothes, right? She wears like in the in the second bridal shop scene, she's wearing this sort of watermelon type outfit, which is kind of interesting, right? I, it's very of the time, I guess, where you wore very bold colors. But I, I think that's something that would be a recurring thing throughout the show is just her her look, right? She she definitely makes these very bold fashion statements. And no, and her confidence. Like, yeah, like, which is admirable like, too. And I attribute that to like Fran. I don't know. Fran Drescher kind of. If you don't like the, like if you just don't like the character, you're not gonna like the show. But if you like the character, like that's all Fran Drescher. This is her and her ex's uh, child. Yeah, exactly. And again, some people don't like her voice. I like her voice. I, I maybe just being from the New York area. I I I don't think I've heard uh, a nasal voice that extreme. But I've definitely heard it before, so it's not that's that's not too far off from what what I'm used to. I did see the clip of her like taking wasabi, and then it clears up her nasal, and she goes, she talks in her like regular voice, like oh, I've like, I've never like, heard that before. Like, it it does some very like this show's about psych gags, recurring gags, like it's, absolutely it's a lot of physical comedy too, and that's yeah something I want to get into as well. I had a sense watching this. This seems like. There's a lot of influence from I Love Lucy or just Lucille Ball in general. 100%. And, oh, and reading 100%. that, definitely a big part of it, right? Because so much of the show's plots and so many episodes revolve around Max Maxwell telling Fran she cannot do something and then Fran coming up with some sort of scheme to do the thing she's been told explicitly not to do. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> so that definitely plays into it. And a lot of the facial expressions, right? Fran... Dresher is very expressive. She definitely has a lot of similar reactions that Lucille Ball would have, right? Kind of looking away when she looks a little insulted or a little displeased or whatever it is. And the the comedic timing, the delivery, all very, very much influenced with love, right? Like I'm not saying it's a rip, it's it's her own style, but you can definitely tell that that legacy of uh, you know, leading women in sitcoms has been passed down through this show. Lucy walked so that Fran could. Hey. <laughs> uh, that sounded more like Peter Griffin, but okay. Uh, true. Okay. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. And then, you know, another big part of this show, too, is, you know, Fran's um, introduction to this Sheffield family of Jewish culture, Jewish sayings, Yiddish, right? She's, um, you know, shiksa and uh, shakas and all Ch- these sort of Chachkis. things. Tchotchkes, that's it. Tchotchkes, yeah. right? Nice tchotchkes. <laughs> he doesn't know what she's referring to. Uh, so <laughs> that, that made me laugh. He's like, "Oh, with Fred, like, like, how yeah. dare you? Like, it's it's that, yeah, it's because it's that that it sums up the show, right? Right? Like that sort of the misunderstanding, right? And it's not just her not understanding them, but you know, there's like a little bit of a culture clash, uh, which when done in, um, you know. It, with good intentions is it lends itself to a lot of good humor, uh, you know, innocent humor. And yeah, that's a big part of the identity of the show, right? Like she's, she's from Queens from this Jewish neighborhood and she embodies that full heartedly. And uh, yeah, like, you know, especially with her family too, like grandma Yetta and, you know, also like this, the way they dress up too, like this, you know, very much this New York Jewish family. And it's, it's very endearing. The first introduction to Grandma Yetta is like they ca- like Brighton gets caught smoking at school, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh, your punishment is you get to meet Grandma Yetta, and it's just like, uh, like, oh, you're gonna come with me, you're gonna come with me and help me help me do something. It's like, no, I'm sorry, I won't do it. Well, again. it's funny. One of the things about Grandma Yetta that I felt a little bad about, maybe it's like the episodes I've seen, is that her shtick is that she forgets everything because I guess of how old she is. And I don't know if you could do that kind of character nowadays. I think people might see that depending on how it's done, right? It can come off as maybe insensitive. I don't think it's there's any ill intent with the character on the show. I'm just saying like, you know, that's not something you would see anymore. Certainly for the show, it's, I, you know, it's, it's harmless, I feel, but it can maybe, um, I don't know. It, it's, it, a little borderline have, for me at times. You would have to spin it, like, mm-hmm. I, or I, and I, I think I'll let like the, whoever's listening to this like take that what you will. Like you have like it, it can't be sitcom funny now. Is what I'm trying to really yeah 
Yeah, it would it would be darker, right? Um, you'd have to take it a little more seriously. Yeah. Uh, but you know, otherwise, you know, this show is built on running gags, especially character based running gags, especially things between the characters, certain dynamics, right? Like something they also established right away is the rivalry, not just between Fran and Cece, but between Niles and Cece, which eventually leads to a romance by the end of the show, of course. Um, Wait, but, you really? Know, yeah, you didn't know that? Yeah, and like the no. midway through the last season, they get together. Well, I'll be a son of a bitch. Like, I mean, it kind of, you know, maybe there was always something there. I think they might have hinted at it once or twice that they maybe have a, a somewhat of a physical attraction to each other that they neither of them wants to admit to. But they do get together at the end, spoiler alert. Uh, but that's a definitely like another running gag is how they do trade jabs, uh, you know, from time to time throughout the show. The tension is there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't, I never knew. I like, I know, I know they get together. I know Fran and, uh, Maxwell get together and right. end up uh, – she has tw- uh, twins, I believe. Yeah. I think that happens at the end of the show or it, it does – it happens no, like towards uh, towards like, the end of the show. She gives birth to twins, yeah. Gives birth, but I, I remember I, – I, funny enough, I remember the moment when like she finds out she's going to have twins and, but, and she – it was one of those like YouTube clips I saw and I didn't realize that the she, – because she's uh, skiing. And she's on like oh, the yeah. ice lift, and the guy next to her is Chris Elliott, and he has his like tongue stuck to the, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. It, I don't know. It's like one of the most comedic, like to find out that you're pregnant, and like the guy next to you has his tongue stuck to the pole. Right, right, definitely a, a wacky situation <laughs> to yeah. find oneself in. Uh, but you know, as as much as those sort of situations happen throughout the show, again, very much influenced by like an I Love Lucy sort of scenario. Uh, the show is also like very sentimental. And it's nice to see her relationship with these kids grow, especially when she does eventually become their stepmother, right? I mean, she embodies the mother figure almost right away. And, yeah, that's what you like to see, right? She she sees in these kids potential, and she, she brings it out of them for the best. And so as I, as you watch the show, you can tell that it's, it has so much heart in it, and that's that's where the loyalty lies with uh, the people who followed it throughout, throughout all six seasons. And and this show, uh, I think just because Fran Drescher has people just grew to appreciate her. This show over the past like decade, I know people that are just like watching it or still watch it has just appreciated in value. And maybe for millennials who just were kind of like me, just like we're just watching shapes and sounds now mm-hmm. are able to like really appreciate it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I said, it ran for a long time on syndication. I don't think it really runs on too many cable networks nowadays, but it definitely had its time, like I said, either on like a WB or a Nick at Night. Uh, but now yeah, you can find it on HBO Max. I think it's jumped around to a few different streaming services over the years. Uh, but yeah, I hope that it keeps finding new audiences because I think it is a staple of the 90s. Uh, and you know, you would say I would say Fran Drescher is like one of the recognizable icons of 90s TV. 100%. Uh, so, you know, now the question remains, if we're our age now, when this pilot airs in 1993, would we want to keep watching it? And, you know, I don't know if I would watch it religiously, like, oh my gosh, like, it's it's on now, I got to put it on. But it's definitely something that I would enjoy watching maybe time and time again, I would go back to. If it was on, I would enjoy it. Just like, like right. I, I, yeah, I don't think I would watch it religiously. Um but I, I need to know the lineup. I need to like, like, mm-hmm. what is it? Like, I'm sure. Yeah, what was the CBS lineup for the during the '90s? I know, like later, everybody loves Raymond. But even then, I feel like if it was on, I'd be happy. But I'm not searching for it. Yeah, exactly. If I if I see it, if it is, um, you know, still being syndicated on cable television. But, you know, I see it on HBO Max, and it's, if it's something you just want to have on as, like, a comfort food sort of show, I think it, it's a very good option for that purpose. So there you have it. That's The Nanny. And I will refrain from doing any sort of imitation. <laughs> uh, I think my voice is nasally enough. She was working in a private shop in Flushing Green. I think also that style of the intro is in the great tradition of maybe even shows from the 60s, right? Like animated yes. Animated intros from like um, I Dream Bewitched. of Genie and Bewitched, right? I yes. think 
definitely in the same sort of vein of tradition. I think this is a show that knows its TV history and uh, takes notes, not just also from I Love Lucy, but maybe also you know, the Dick Van Dyke show and Mary Tyler Moore. And, you know, throughout the decades, you know, it takes the best of those um, those legacy television shows. So that's always nice to see, you know, a show that pays tribute to, you know, what paved the way. So there you have it. So I think we've been talking about a lot of shows that have certain relatability factors, right? Uh, whether it's a broader appeal or appeal to a very specific type of demographic. But, uh, you know, next week we're going to be going into a show that doesn't really have any of the relatability factor at all. It's sort of on the other end of what I'll get into in terms of, you know, the that, that sort of scale of grounded or zany. This is definitely going on zany. And so we're going to talk about next week, Third Rock from the Sun. And so we'll, we'll see how that fits in with this lineup of uh, 90s sitcom pilots. But, um, yep, until we meet that group of aliens, Keith, um, it's good spending time with my fellow human here, and I'll catch you at the next pilot. Follow us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, at Take Us to the Pilot. That's Take Us to the Pilot with the number two. Passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.